Welcome to the podcast. My name's Ian. And my name's Tony, and this is Tennis Today. Say there are moments when he switched off, when he switched off there, but then he produces a shot like that. Outrageous eat by his death. All right, Tony, how you doing, man? It's been a week. It's been a week. Uh, I took on a few side quests, though, um, where I could, but uh, yeah, another week, happy to still be doing it. Yeah, so I feel like that's kind of been your thing, is these uh, <laughs> random side quests that have been birthed from this podcast or through all of our Instagram stuff. You had your uh, chasing down uh, a piccolo coffee um, from Max Purcell, your new side quest, oh, the tennis balls too, which we, we keep, you know, we've been pr- bringing up on yes. here a couple times. You've been testing out the different tennis balls. Um, your newest uh, tennis side quest here is, uh, I think it's a great idea. We've, we've got a lot of messages about this. Um, with the movie challengers coming out in April, you pose the question, what's the best tennis movie that's out there? And, um, you're going to be going, taking suggestions for people going through and rewatching some stuff and watching things you haven't watched before. So, um, you, I mean, you've already started too, haven't you? I, uh, yeah, that night that I posted it, I, uh, just kind of, my list was kind of loosely based off of, you know, just whatever you find on Google. And uh, I don't know if you're on Letterboxd, but I just kind of got on Letterboxd recently and kind of seen what lists people put under tennis movies. And uh, yeah, I uh, I don't know. I just was thinking about challenges. Like this is a good opportunity to bring up a different type of conversation. Uh, one that I think uh, a lot of people are really excited to have. But uh, first movie I saw and we'll have to, as we go along, kind of define in broader terms, what is a tennis movie? What is not a tennis movie? Is it a documentary? Is it fiction? Uh, but I watched Strangers on a Train by Alfred Hitchcock, which uh, never mm-hmm. considered as a tennis movie, but I can definitely confirm there's a lot of tennis in it. And it's, uh, it's a great place to start. <laughs> yeah. I, where, where did you find it? Because I do want to go back and watch that. Sadly, you got to pay. It's not anywhere. Oh, okay. It's not on any uh, platforms, but I think it's like whatever, three ninety nine or something to oh, yeah, rent. Yeah. Um, Amazon, Apple, everywhere. Um, that was actually something because I was going through the list and I was like, well, I'm, I think I'll just start with whatever's available on any, you know, pick and choose which streaming platform that I am, you know, subscribed to. I kind of lose track. And um, yeah, nothing, nothing that was right off top of the list was available. So I was like, mm. all right, you know what, if I'm going to pay... I'm going to start with something that I know Alfred Hitchcock, you know, I've studied film and photography. I was like, any excuse to watch a film of his, why not? This is going to be fun. Yeah, I'm really excited to watch that one, too. It's one I've posted pictures from before. I know we, we were talking about this. Um, just like the style in that film looks amazing. Farley Granger wearing the pleated shorts and the cardigans <laughs> like hanging over his shoulders. Like the style looks immaculate in that. So I'm excited to watch that one. My girlfriend's excited that we want to do this too because she's like she wants to watch a movie like every night. And my attention span is like is not what hers is for for television. And when she saw that you wanted to do this, she was like, "I'll." She's like, "I'll watch tennis movies with you. It sounds great." So, nice. <laughs> so I'm excited to start this too. Um, and that, yeah, that's a good one to start with. I I've never seen it. I I really want to see it. Um, I feel like what we'll do is once we get to a good like milestone, we'll kind of talk about where we're at with everything, you know, talk about some of the movies that we've watched. And then, yeah, this, the Challengers movie comes out in April. So we'll have to kind of give our like final verdict on wh- what we feel like is the best fiction and nonfiction tennis movies or, or come up with some sort of a ranking for it. I, I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Off uh, not having watched or rewatched anything uh, off the top of your head. Do you have a favorite tennis movie? Yeah, I know. We I had to think about this a little bit, and I do think there's a big difference between a fiction and nonfiction tennis movie. And I mean, The French to me, uh, it kind of falls into the uh, nonfiction category. It's um, a documentary, kind of, but it's like very artsy. Uh, Wes Anderson like helped re-release it with like a foreword uh, just in the last couple of years, and it was uh, available on uh, Metrograph online. And like, I think I got a Metrograph subscription just to watch it. And it was, it really, it's amazing. It really is, you know, we've talked about Breakpoint a little bit and the access or lack of access that they have to behind the scenes. Uh, the French is one of those, one of the few tennis movies that exist that um, 
they really get behind the scenes of the tennis tournament and in the locker oh, yeah. room with the players. And I correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think that there's zero narration in that too. It's very just like um, a collection of the clips telling the yeah, story of the right. tournament. And it's yeah. just, it's amazing. It's so, so, so good. So off the top of my head, that's definitely my favorite tennis movie. I'm not going to, uh, you know, delineate between fiction or nonfiction. To me, that's the best <laughs> tennis movie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to rewatch that one. I'm definitely, and I think that since you mentioned Metro, I'm probably still subscribed to Metrograph. <laughs> I bought it. I bought it just yeah. to watch that movie and I'm probably, they probably still got me. Um, yeah. but, yeah. uh, yeah, th- yeah. I remember that just the access. There was like a scene, I think it was, Yannick Noah, where like it's like he's just in a jockstrap, just yeah, he's just like naked in the locker room. It's just like all right, okay, (laughs) like, um, but yeah, good one, and yeah, you're right. I don't remember if there was narration; it was minimal because it was just kind of like scenes and sounds. Um, Great, great choice. Um, Me off the top, it's going to sound dumb, but recency bias, strangers on a train. I mean, I I automatically. not going to do any spoilers, but for me, I'm I'm starting it on the S tier. Uh, we'll see if that moves as we watch more movies, if it stays, uh, how it holds up. But uh, God, it's so good. Yeah, oh, definitely man. recommend if you're listening, go give it a watch. Oh, I'm excited to watch it. Are there any that people recommended that you hadn't heard of that you're kind of excited oh about? There was a lot, actually. Yeah. I was really surprised. Um, uh, let me let me pull up this list because it's uh, there was well, a few. The fifth set, I believe, is a French movie. Yeah, um, that was one that kept on getting recommended, and I had yes. never seen the cover, never heard of it. But then I no. kind of Googled it, and it's out there. It's recent. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it's very recent. Um, so, and I was kind of surprised. I thought I had my finger on the pulse of like what what was going mm-hmm, on in the tennis mm-hmm. space, but there's quite a bit. Um, so there's that uh, match point uh mm-hmm. woody allen movie i think which i didn't know about uh which that that was where i was going to start but um i don't know wasn't available anywhere but uh fifth set borg versus McEnroe. i knew about somebody put out bridesmaids have you seen that i feel like i have but that might be one of those movies where there's a tennis scene that's what it. i was thinking yeah, yeah I, i'd never seen it but i was like i don't know like i'm gonna have to yeah parse that one out wimbledon never saw it um, crazy that's crazy that's to me that's the one that's probably has the most mass appeal or was yeah. the most widely distributed so when you were replying like i hadn't seen it i was like there's no way he hasn't seen this <laughs> yeah i'm so the thing about me i don't i don't know if this is good or bad but i uh i'll just take a stand like on something and be like i'm not watching that like i've yeah. never seen a harry <laughs> potter movie uh oh skipped twilight i i mean and i'll come around but like yeah i mean I did watch one Harry Potter movie. It was the last one, like whatever it was, part two, just okay. for like the spectacle of going. And it was really cool. Everyone was super into it, but I had no idea what was going on. I was like, no right, no tennis in that one, though. So No tennis in that one. But anyway, so I'll t- <laughs> sometimes I'll just take a stand and be like, yeah, you know what? I'm not, not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Wimbledon was one of those. But for the sake of the show, I will, I'll give it a watch. Um, what else? Spring Fever, 1982. Never heard of it. Nope, uh, no dude, somebody recommended a porno and I was like, okay, <laughs> and I was like, not probably not going to catch that one. But I was like, all right, there's a lot out there that I had no idea existed. <laughs> there's going to be no analyzing the form of the, uh, of their <laughs> forehand grip. In yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. That's, <laughs> but there was, there was a surprising amount of like, good suggestions where I was like, cause I kind of thought I was like, Oh, people are going to say King Richard or whatever, but yeah, it kind of opened my eyes to a few things. So I was like, all right, nice. cool. I'm, I'm yeah. in. Yeah. I'm excited. I mean, the, I, I think we kind of going through the list. Like I forgot about certain movies that I'm excited to go back to. Um, I, you know, King Richard's one of the most recent ones and, um, really only watched it the one time excited to go back and watch that. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I haven't set up a letterbox or anything, but it will be fun to kind of, to, to go through this for the next couple months and, and rank them. Cause I've never done that. And I, I do think it's kind of fun. And I'm, I had a few messages from people that love the idea, so we should definitely do it. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah.
So, uh, what else happened this week? Um, so we'll talk about the uh, news from the past week of tennis. We will also talk about uh, the results from the past week and what's going to be happening this week in tennis. Um, but a lot of stuff going on with the coaching changes. Um, I've got a few notes here. I'll start with uh, Jess Pagula, um, who her coach, David Witt, she parted ways with after about five years um, she's also taken a step away from the Middle East swing of tournaments, uh, citing a, a neck injury. You know, m- maybe that had something to do with uh, how she struggled in the Australian Open. Um, not sure. Uh, she was pretty flat in that tournament, so um, you know, maybe that's why. Um, but uh, yeah, kind of kind of surprising move from her, um, and it sounded like David Witt was surprised. Um, he kind of came out of nowhere. They've been working together really closely and all of Jess Pagula's rise to the top of the game has kind of come with him as her coach. So um, yeah, kind of a surprising change there. Um, I'm not really sure what the the reason is behind it. Uh, Me, my my head kind of goes to, she's, she's 30 years old. If you watch the Netflix breakpoint episode, that is kind of the main talking point of that episode for her is she was a late bloomer. Um, she's at the top of her game right now, but she's, has not been able to kind of get over the hump and win a grand slam and win some of these larger tournaments. So part of me just wonders if this is a move to say like, Hey, my, my clock is ticking and I got to try something different here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, and it kind of brings up the interesting cause we see it all the time. If you watch football, basketball, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, there's quite a bit of coaching changes and a lot of the times that's a that's a fair narrative. It's like, you know what? I think this team has achieved what they're able to achieve. Let's switch it up and see if we can get a new voice in the locker room. And tennis is, is different because it's more of like a personal relationship between the player and the coach. And I mean, there's obviously some tactical things a coach can help with, but it's also like a, like a travel companion, someone that's going to be with you in all corners of the world. Um, So it's, it's an interesting conversation. And yeah, that was kind of a, a shocking one. Um, it it is interesting, or maybe this is just the nature of it. But like, uh, you know, he was featured in the Netflix show also um, before Francis. You know, in his episode, his uh, old coach was featured not not as much, I would say, but was in it. And then Francis also changed uh, to a different coach this year. Uh, small little bubble of a Netflix curse for the coaches not making it out mm. of <laughs> not making it out of yeah. the show, but. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, Pagula, she'll make her return in San Diego, I imagine. Yeah, I, she was announced mm-hmm. for it. So yeah, that's mm-hmm. two weeks away now, or a week. Oh, yeah, two weeks away. So yep, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, hopefully, hopefully we'll get a chance to see her down there. Um, but uh, definitely a surprising change, and um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what changes as far as her game coming out of it. She's always been a very um, defensive player rock solid, super, super, super consistent. Her best tennis has come with David Witt as her coach. Um, you know, I've been a big fan of hers and we've talked about that here. So I hope that this is the change that she needs to, to kind of get over the hump. And, um, you know, I, I don't know what the, the timing, the strategy of it, how that's going to kind of play out for her, but, you know, obviously I hope nothing for the best and we'll see if there's any other announcements from her as far as coaching goes. Um, yeah, no kind of announcement of who, if there's a new coach. Um, I didn't see anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of uh, coaching uh, carousels, though, uh, Runa, uh, tons of coaching changes. So <laughs> this is a long timeline. I posted about this on Instagram. Um, the most recent news is that Boris Becker is stepping away. And it's kind of like what you just talked about, how they're also your travel companion. Well, Boris Becker actually can't travel to certain countries. <laughs> so yep. Um, yep. that maybe was a factor here. He made a statement about it saying that he was just not uh, – it was his decision and that he was not able to make the commitment time-wise to be there with Runa uh, through all the tournaments. Um but that just comes as one more coaching change that Runa has had um, going back over a year now. I have the, the whole timeline here. He's somebody who's came from the Moritoglu Tennis Academy. Uh, he, was, he brought Moritoglu on uh, in October of 2022. Uh, then he ended full-time coaching in April of last year. And then they completely separated in September of last year. 
And that's about when we had Boris Becker join his group. That was October of last year. Uh, and then in, and then also he had uh, Severin Luthi from Federer's team. So they looked like they had this dream team going at the end of last year, yep. um, you know, coming into the start of this year. They had Boris Becker. They had Luthi. Luthi didn't last more than, I think, like five or six weeks. He, he was brought on at the end of December, uh, yep. left at the end of January. And then here we are uh, in, you know, beginning of February and Boris Becker leaves. So really just kind of a crazy uh, revolving door at coaching position there for Runa. I, I don't know. What do you think about that? Chaotic. Yeah, it's uh Feels and like I mean it. E- even before that, you know, he he had Patrick let him go and then brought him back and then mm-hmm. let him go. Um yeah, I I don't know if it's something where it's like, all right, you're you're looking for lightning in a bottle or you know what what is it? Um I I in your notes I saw the question does it does it matter uh, having, you know, what is the importance of like, you know, having somebody with you over, over the long term, or, you know, maybe not at all. Um, it's chaotic. Also add to that. Uh, he signs with IMG mom mm-hmm. steps down as his press manager or whatever her title was. Um, it's, it's odd, especially because just for the reasoning given where it's kind of like, uh, Oh, you know, I, I you know, I'm just not going to be able to make the travel happen. And it's like, well, like, when you were at the table signing a contract, like, didn't you plan this out? Or like, right. wasn't this, shouldn't this conversation have happened before? Um, it's just weird. Uh, who knows if there's more to it than just what's been said. Um, but yeah, it's a big, all of a sudden, a, a big shuffle post AO, post, uh, or I'm sorry, pre Indian Wells. And when, because I feel like after Indian Wells, the season kind of really picks up from the Sunshine Double into the Clay season. Uh, no word on who he's hired. I know he has um, a guy with him. I, I'm, I think he's, I don't want to call him a data analyst, but he's like an analytics guy that's yeah. seemingly stuck with him, Mike James, throughout whoever's been coaching him. Um, yeah, it, it, it's odd. Um, not really sure. I mean, I, I, it's not a good thing. I don't think it's a, a positive in any way. Yeah, it's yeah, it's tricky. I mean, I've had a lot of messages about this, you know, people who have blamed Runa, people who have blamed his mom because his mom is you know very attached to his career. You know, I'm not going to sit here and, and point fingers one way or the other because we don't we don't know them. But it is strange. You don't really see players. I mean, he's only 20 years old. You know, you don't really see players having this many changes to coaching in such a short period of time. I think it's going to be fine. You know, I don't think it's I think. The, the prospect of him potentially being a Grand Slam winner is, is still there. He's still one of the top players in the game. Um, but it is a little concerning because he is one of the top players in the game. You're not, you, you don't, you don't see that type of um, inconsistency on the, from the coaching uh, with all, with the other players that he's contending against. So there's a little, yeah, he's not really walking on stable ground right now. And it's, um, yeah, it's it's strange, but I mean, I don't know if you got a chance to listen, but his mother in real time, right? So we got the announcement that he has the coaching change, and then the next day, our friend Craig Shapiro has a podcast where he's actually interviewing uh, Annika, his his mother, and I actually, it was a really 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 good episode. It's pretty rare that you get that real time feedback of what's happening, mm-hmm. and she she kind of brushed it off. She basically just said, "Hey, like it, Boris wasn't able to make the time commitment." Um, you know, that, that they were, you know, that she's just, she's very invested in his, his career and kind of lets him make the decisions based on what he thinks is best for his career and the direction they need to take things. They did talk about some of the coaching changes that they've made in the past, that they were a little reluctant to change specific styles of his game. So it does kind of make you wonder, like if they're, if they're really like holding on to a specific way that they think his game should be, or things that they're unwilling to change or things that they um, really want to stick to, who knows? I mean, he's still. I think he's going to be fine in the end. But it is. Uh, it is pretty rare to see this type of revolving door at the coaching position for a player, you know, that ranked that highly in the game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of uh, kind of like how we looked at Sinner last year. Of like, okay, this is a great player. You know, when's he going to make his? You know, the next leap to enter an elite status. And that's kind of. I feel like Holger's kind of entering that territory. I know he catches quite a bit of flack online for, you know, whatever his antics, especially now, you know, what's going on with his coaching, Mm -hmm. even something we'll probably talk about later. Like, why is he involved in this six Kings, uh, you know, (laughs) exhibition? Um, 
and yeah, I'm I'm a fan. I like his game. I you know I like him as a player. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's obviously plenty of time to figure this out all out. It's just odd. You're right to see someone that's in the top ten just going through you know a bunch of stuff. Not necessarily off court drama, but just you know coaching carousel like this. Um, Emma Raducanu comes to mind, but obviously she's not exactly like a top ten player. But that's another. Mm-hmm player who's you know known for just switching coaches left and right uh at the early stages of their career it doesn't seem like she's found the right fit yet either um something to keep track of maybe he goes yeah. the route of no coach does it do you need a coach does it matter you know is Nick Kyrgios famously no coach uh for years um but when you look at the model and obviously we're looking at the greatest of all time Roger his camp was pretty much well established pretty much throughout small switches here and there Novak, same, Rafa, same, and not just the coach, but like the entire team. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at the box and it's it's completely filled. Uh, when I watched Novak practice um, in uh, New York, he had like eight guys on court with him. Yeah. And they were all kind of chiming in. So, um, I mean, different things work for different players. Uh, obviously, Holger's figuring, figuring things out. Uh, there is something to be said about like knowing what you want and knowing what you don't yeah. want. Uh, so... We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I don't think I don't think players get enough credit for when they make coaching changes that do work out. You know, we're hearing we're kind of hearing the blowback a little bit of these coaching changes, and it's being used as a criticism of Runa. But on the other side of it, I don't know that people get enough credit. The players don't get enough credit. I mean, the coaches tend to, right? You got Coco Goff; she goes out there and wins a Grand Slam with Brad Gilbert. Um, you know, Sinner's uh, doing great with his coaching team now. It's like. You hear a lot about like, oh, these coaches really made these players or brought them to the next level. Even just talking about Pagula there, we're talking about David Witt and the five years that they've had together. It is credit to the players that they were able to find the right people for their game too. Um, so, you know, maybe there's a big, there's, there's a part of it there for Runa is he just, he just, he hasn't found the right match yet. He's tried a few things. It hasn't been working out for him. Um, when he does finally land a coach that is right for his game, I mean, who knows what sky's the limit with his game. Yep. I'm, I'm like you, I, his game is super, super impressive. And I think we've all kind of been waiting uh, similarly to center to see it all come together. Um, so yeah, I mean, we'll see, but I loved what you mentioned there about the players that have no coach, like a curios. I, I think this conversation is super, super interesting. And you being a coach, this makes it kind <laughs> of an interesting conversation to have because yes. I, you know, and this, this transcends tennis. This is, I think you can have the same conversation about, you know, football or hockey or whatever. Sometimes I wonder about the importance of coaching, right? If you're the best player in the world or you're the best team in a said league, how important is it that who your coach is? If you have the most talent, period, are you going to win more than often? You know, are, how important is a coach? And I'm I'm interested to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, I, I think it it obviously is case by case. It depends on the player, mm-hmm. but some players will really rely, especially now since in matches, coaches coaches are allowed to chime in here and there, like what you um, said about Carlos, where it's like you know, is he capable of making good in mass in match adjustments without Ferrero there, and. I sat courtside for uh, an Emma Raducanu match last year at Indian Wells, and I was you know, right next to uh, the coach. And, I mean, he was, like, she was looking at him returning serve, and he was saying, T, why? Like, he was, she was looking for feedback. It's like, mm-hmm. where should I go to return this serve? So some players are really into getting live in-moment advice. And what was funny is, like, I mean, how could the coach know? But, like, he was wrong a lot. <laughs> like, he was, yeah. she would say cover cover middle, and, like, it would go wide, and she would look at him and, like, it's weird. Um, but yeah, I mean, tennis, for example, look at like Medvedev and his coach, Jill Savar. And it's kind of like Medvedev seems like a player where it's like he doesn't really need anyone to say anything during the match. He's just, you know, he's chess master making all these adjustments. I think probably a lot of their work is done where we don't see it. You know, it's on the practice courts and I've watched him practice and a lot of it just looked like, you know, just letting Danil do what he does and his coach would come around and talk to him a little bit. I've seen other practice sessions, Lena Rybakina, where coach is like actively involved. She's returning mm-hmm. serving. He's like pushing her to like physically almost pushing her to move forward. So it, it's case by case. And I mean, I, as a coach, I've 
I've never coached anything high level to or anything like this, just recreational tennis. Um, and from a coach's perspective, I always recommend to my students of like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to teach you, you know, what I know. But if you want to go, you know, see another coach, please do so. It's like every everyone learns and communicates differently. And if I'm not the right match for you for whatever reason, it's no hard feelings at all. This is just the nature of being a human being. So that's fine. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, I don't know. I mean, obviously, Nick Kyrgios doesn't doesn't want a coach, doesn't need one. I do feel like um, it's good to have, you know, he travels with his friend. It's good to have sort of a small team that you can trust around you. Um, but yeah, when you're a professional tennis player, you are kind of like the CEO of your company mm-hmm. in a way. You are the one responsible for paying for your physio, paying for your coach, hiring, firing. It's... Um, it's a really interesting scenario. I mean, unless they have a manager doing this for them, but at the end of the day, they have the final say. Um, but yeah, I think it's a case by case thing. Some players are really looking for feedback, you know, any moment, yeah. and others are kind of just like, "Hey, you know what? Just let me do let me do what I do, and if I need some help, I'll I'll ask for it." Yeah. Well, I definitely agree that it depends on the player. Um, I also think there's a value to you know when I'm sure. As a coach, you know this. I'm not saying anything you don't already know. But even when I'm sitting on the sideline watching a friend play, you just see everything in a way that you don't see it when you're on the court. I helped a friend of mine. Um, she participated in an amateur tennis tournament, and I helped like warm her up the day of and everything. And she was, you know, going through one of her matches, and like you can see it all happening on the court. You're like, oh, she's serving to your your backhand, yep. and you're standing too far back, and like sometimes it does help to have somebody who 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 can see that and tell you mm-hmm. those things. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're talking about Alcaraz. Like there is this kind of crop of younger generation of players that are now being brought up through the game with the ability to get on court coaching, and I'm concerned with some of the players that they're too dependent on that. You talked about Raducanu. I think the obvious ones for me that come to mind is a Sitsipas and an Alcarez when they're constantly looking to their box for yep. affirmation on what they should be doing. Um, I think that separates the best players in the world, uh, you know, the legends of the game, the people who have been able to problem solve on the court in real time. And again, like the biggest argument that I've heard from people about not having coaching on court during the matches is you've got 365 days off court to figure that out to figure out who your opponent is, what you need to be doing. When they do this, you do this. What adjustments that you can make. I'm kind of somewhere in between. I think the coaching is something that could happen maybe between sets. Um, I think it's good to have that kind of feedback. Constant is way too much to me. It kind of drives me nuts when they're looking at their box for everything. What should I be doing here? Where should I be serving it? That drives me absolutely nuts. Um, but yeah, it's kind of interesting because you're seeing it a lot more. You're seeing it, you know, Alcaraz is this player that seems to have been forged by the forces of tennis and has, you know, Juan Carlos Ferrero and all these hands that have kind of helped mold him into the player that he is. But then he comes to mind as somebody who's like, hey, he might be a little too dependent on his coaches. He didn't have him there for, for Australian Open and, and he kind of struggled to problem solve. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I kind of it's a long way for me of like go saying like I kind of go back and forth on it. In one hand, I can see it as well. If you're the greatest player on the planet, or you're one of the best players in the world, that should win out more often than not. But then I do see it the other way, the way that you said that. Um, you know, it, it it does it does matter for the specific player or what they need or having that extra set of eyes sometimes. So yeah, the uh, the looking over to the to the coach's box every point is so funny. Like so. Like last year, Indian Wells, I made a point of wherever I was sitting, I'm going to try to get there early and sit next to the coach's box because I wanted to see the dynamic of how that works. And I, I sat, I actually sat next to uh, Yannick Sinder's dad. And, you know, his team was, you know, all to my left. And uh, they would all be sitting there. And then as soon as he would look, everyone on their feet, come on, come on, come on, come on. His dad, you know, come on. And then they would just sit back down and just kind of be like, okay. But like anytime he would look, they would be like, all right, like every time. And it mm-hmm. wouldn't be every point, but it, it's just kind of in, that's another dynamic. You know, you've seen players yell at their boxes like, oh, why aren't you hyping me up? Or yeah, it, it's, yeah, I, uh, not crazy about it. On the other hand, I've seen, I, I won't mention who, but like uh, down in San Diego, uh, there was a coach, his player would look over 
and he'd be like, okay. And then as soon as she would look away, he'd be like, oh, like <laughs> there was, there was nobody. And I, I literally heard him. He was doing that. He was like, okay, okay, let's go. And then like, hey, is there a, like a theme park with like a roller coaster close to you? I was like, dude, this guy's crazy. Um, so awesome. it's just, yeah, it, it's fun. Uh, this will get into like, uh, you know, BNP recommendations. But if you ever get a chance, try to sit next to mm-hmm. the coach's boxer near and you can learn you can learn a lot about uh, just, you know, match play and stuff like that uh, just by sitting there, basically. Oh, some other things coming up this week. Uh, we got some notes here. There was an announcement about the uh, Six Kings Slam in Saudi Arabia. Um, now, that's one of a few exhibition matches that have been announced for this year. Big marquee events. We'll talk about the Six Kings Slam, but we'll talk about the one coming up most currently right now, which is the Netflix Slam. That's happening in Las Vegas on March 3rd. Alcarez versus Nadal. Are you going to that one? Uh, dude, I need to apply for a credential. Hopefully it's not too late, but I I had every intention. I actually got the email. I'll share it with you later of, uh, who to contact. But, Mm. uh, like I said, a lot going on in my life last week, but, uh, if I can get, well, maybe without a credential, it might be worth going to check out. Uh, I know some people have like, oh, it's exhibition tennis. Who cares? I mean, I was at the exhibition match between Tommy Paul and Carlos in Mexico city, and obviously I had a lot better access than most people being credentialed. Um, it was fun. I mean, it, it's just another opportunity to see Rafa because we don't know how many chances we're going to get. And Vegas is kind of easy to get to wherever you are in the United States. So mm-hmm. I actually, uh, uh, quite a few people at my club have asked me about this. They're like, oh, like very casual tennis people that are going to go to this because they're like, oh, we're, we want to go see Rafa and Carlos. So I think it's a... It's a great pairing just between Carlos and Rafa. I know uh, one of the questions at uh, the Mexico, Mexico City exhibition was like, are you guys going to play doubles together at the Olympics? Mm-hmm. Uh, no definitive answer, but I think that's just kind of like a dream pairing if you are going to run an exhibition. Um, Vegas is a great spot if you're just going to go try to catch a show or do something, dinner. Um, so yeah, I hopefully I can get a credential. If not, I'm happy to pay my money to go over there. It's not too far from me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's like 80 bucks or something is what the tickets were listed for, for originally. But, yeah, I mean, that it, it, interesting. I feel like tennis used to do a lot more of these exhibition matches. Um, it's kind of more of a thing of the past. I think the players now are, I don't know if it's just like apprehension about like getting injured or something or what, how much money is involved or whatever. I, did they announce what the prize money is going to be i know they mentioned there was going to be other players that were going to be there but i haven't i, I didn't no. see anything else did you i mean they'll make i mean other than their appearance fee which i'm assuming is awesome um yeah we saw some posts i think uh like a month ago about like what they're charging to do clinics with rafa and mm-hmm. uh carlos which is like a ton of money which when I was in Mexico City, I got to watch them happen. And it's just, you know, players at the net kind of feeding balls and maybe volley a few shots back. Okay, back of the line. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be the same thing or not. I, I'm sure they're, regardless of prize money or not, they're going to be well well taken care of. This was something that they were supposed to do last year. But Rafa had an injury, so couldn't do it. So they're honoring it this year. Um, that's just one of the other things to add to our list of, like, things leading into the BNP, <laughs> yeah. which now since I'm thinking about it, maybe I'll make it, maybe not. I'm going to try if it's possible. Um, but yeah, and I mean, for example, to compare it to Mexico City, I thought that was a successful event during the day. They had their clinics. The night they had uh, Wozniacki and Maria Sakari play a match, which Maria is like super popular in Mexico, which is mm-hmm. kind of funny. She, you know, she's called it sort of like her home away from home. Mm-hmm. So that was a great show. Um, Carlos and Tommy, some fun points. Obviously, it's not, they're not fully invested in the tennis, but they're playing some nice shots and stuff like that. And then after it was a concert. Um, so it was, it was a good, a good experience if you're just like, hey, I just want to pop in and be entertained for a couple hours. And I'm a tennis fan. Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming Netflix would, because that's who's putting on this event is Netflix. So I'm assuming they're going to follow a similar format. Um, but I'm not quite sure. I haven't seen any, I haven't seen too much uh, hype about it, actually. 
Yeah, it's kind of, it has been a little quiet. Maybe mm-hmm. they maybe that's intentional because of Rafa's injuries. I mean, he's right. supposed to be back, but like maybe they were unsure if it was even going to happen. Right. But yeah, they were supposed to announce other players that were going to be there too. Um, and I didn't see anything. I, I, no, I, me neither. Just word yeah. of mouth around the club, basically. Yeah, kind of strange. Also, because I mean, Netflix is probably has good reason to be promoting it um, because of Breakpoint, and they have yep. somewhat, you know, somewhat invested here in tennis. Um, so yeah, kind of strange to not be promoting it further and making any sort of announcements around it. Uh, so I don't know. But uh, we did get another announcement this week, which is the Six Kings Slam in Saudi Arabia. That's supposed to be happening in October. Um, and the Six Kings are Djokovic, Nadal, Alcaraz, Sinner, Medvedev, and Runa. Runa being the only one that hasn't actually won a slam. Talk about prize money. Did you see this? <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah. So it is rumored to be about a $6 million prize with a $1.5 million appearance fee. That prize money would be essentially double Wimbledon. Yep. Um, it'd be the richest bag in tennis history. Uh, so no reason to wonder why they're doing it. Um, that is yep. a ton of money. Um, they also kind of had to skirt around ATP's, um, uh, policy in terms of players participating in exhibition matches, which is that they can't participate in a tournament that happens for more than three days consecutively. So they have like a two days off one day on format to kind of get around that. So it's kind of interesting. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, huge lineup, probably the six best players in the world right now. Uh, well, Nadal's going through his injuries, but you're talking, stacking the grand slams of all the, the current grand slam holders that are playing at the top of the game. And yeah, um, not being received particularly well by some players. John Isner spoke out about it and spoke out about the WTA finals being there, saying that he doesn't think that it's a, a great idea to be invested in Saudi Arabia for tennis. But uh, either way, it's happening. A um, lot of money in it, a lot of money in Saudi Arabia. Um, and now you have two big marquee exhibition matches happening this year. So in general, I mean, how do you how do you feel about exhibition matches? I know you mentioned the Tommy Paul and, and the Alcaraz one. How do you... How do you feel about that in terms of promoting the sport of tennis? And Well, when it comes to, for example, Mexico City, they don't really have a tournament that they can get to. They have some lower level events and their, their closest tournament is Guadalajara, a couple hours away, but that's a WTA event. So this is for most of the people that were in attendance that night. It's their only chance to see Carlos and Tommy. And, you know, same with the ladies. So um, I like that aspect. Obviously... It brings into the question of sports washing. It's definitely a thing. Like you said, there's no bones about why these players signed up to do it. That's the biggest payday that they could possibly maybe of their career, basically, just for, I imagine it's a one-week event. Mm-hmm. So um, I've been to another exhibition, the UTS, which was also in the in the news this week, the Ultimate Tennis Showdown. Uh, different format. I actually had a really good time. I mean, I think if you... If you go into it with the attitude of like, hey, this is just like, it's like going to a movie. It's like, this is just entertainment. I'm just here to see, you know, some good tennis players play and kind of mess around. And I I don't see any problem with it at all. Um, I mean, if you're looking to go see real competition, then go to Indian Wells, go to Miami. It's it's a different thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not against it. Anything that helps grow and promote the sport is good when it comes to, you know, Saudi it's we're entering a, a weird a weird space where it's it's almost like I guess at this point it's almost like no going back if they're starting starting to pull players away from you know tour scheduled events like it, it seems inevitable now that this is the direction that we're heading um, which I don't know it sports washing has made its way into almost every sport uh, you know if you look at football soccer. Even, you know, some instances, basketball is starting to make this happen, you know, players going over there. So um, it just kind of seems inevitable. Um, Will I watch it? I don't know. Is it going to be streaming somewhere? Will I go? Probably not. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's weird. A lot of pushback on it and understandably so for many different reasons. But um, I don't know. Players are getting paid and they don't seem to mind about it. Yeah, well... They don't seem to mind, but also 
Nadal even kind of penning a contract with Saudi Arabia tennis and kind of becoming a um, an ambassador for yes. it. We are, and I posted about this, and I was like, oh, you know, so it begins. Yeah, sports washing has existed for, for a while. To me, this is kind of them testing the waters of, you know, this is like the first domino to fall here in terms of bringing tennis to Saudi Arabia. There's been conversations about the WTA finals. You've got this exhibition match now. Um, it does kind of seem inevitable. Um doesn't feel great. It's it's uncomfortable in the same way we're talking about this Verev situation here where it's like you want to promote tennis, you want the sport to be healthy, you want, you know, all avenues of the world to have access to tennis and have access to the players. There's of course always going to be a value to that. It's really about what the ATP and the WTA manage to do. If they're going to cross that bridge and they're going to kind of tread those waters. It's really about how their messaging and how yeah. they are going to kind of use that, that platform and, and use the opportunity for good. Um, you know, this was, we talked about um, sports washing and I, and I referenced a podcast that I listened to talking about Qatar and the world cup and the, the, the way that the podcast kind of ended up uh, settling at the end of it was just like, yeah, like it's happening and it's, you know, it's going to be here and there's nothing we can do about it. But it's on the people, the audience, it's on the organizations, it's on the players that are choosing to participate to make sure that they try to use this as an agent of change. And, right. you know, there's hope for that. There's hope for that. There's hope for tennis going into this uh, kind of new world and, and promoting the sport where it can maybe do both. Maybe it could um, both bring the bring the sport to avenues of the world that don't have it right now and be kind of an agent for social change and Again, this kind of goes back to all our conversations of past episodes of like getting politics involved with sport. Like, who, who, who else is going to be able to make that change? I mean, you know, it's it's change doesn't come easily when you've got these multi-million-dollar, billion-dollar famous tennis players and these organizations that are now going to be going into Saudi Arabia. Um, maybe it is a great opportunity for them to make an impact, and um, you know, it'll be something to watch. Um, Again, I haven't looked at anything as far as streaming. I mean, it's still so newly announced. I don't know if those those details came out, but um, yeah. as far as exhibitions go in tennis, yeah, I I want to see more stuff. I do want to see more exhibitions in tennis, and um, this is beside you know it being hosted in Saudi Arabia. Just in general, I think it just you're right. It's like well, let's just treat it as entertainment. It's yeah. it doesn't need to be this super serious, inaccessible tournament where you got to plan you know, the, the travel and the hotels around the week or what round am I going to see and how much does it cost for a grounds pass or a night session or a day <laughs> yeah. session? Sometimes you're just like, can we not do any of that? Can we just like, what does it cost to go watch fun tennis, you know? Yeah. And um, for that, I think exhibitions could be could be a lot more fun if there was more of them, so. Yeah, the, the UTS model in LA, the aspect that I liked about it was like, there's one court, one stadium, everyone's playing on that court. So you just yeah. buy your seat. I got a great seat and I saw everyone. It wasn't like, okay, well, I got to wait until the changeover. Should I leave? Is this going to go three sets? I'm just going to make my move now. Yeah. And yeah, it was fantastic. I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it of like, all right, I'm just going to plot here down, drinks, food, and enjoy the show basically. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. I don't know yeah, if I'm going to get out to the, uh, to the Netflix slam in Las Vegas. Like you said, it's, that the date that it's on happens to be the day that if I feel like everything in tennis is happening. It's like four different tournaments. I think San Diego <laughs> open final is yeah. that it's, you know, the Netflix slam, there's low desert open. It's the oh next day is yeah. next day is the beginning of Indian. Well, so who knows? I, I don't, I, yeah, it's streaming on Netflix. I got a Netflix subscription. So I think I'm probably going to stay home for that one. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. anything else happened from this week? I feel like that, that was a lot. That was a lot. Um, off the top of my head, no. I mean, other than kind of going through the notes of like the results of the week, but off the top of my head, not really. Um, no updates. I mean, if you want to talk about Halep, we can get into that. Uh, that was that was maybe the only other thing that was kind yeah. of in the news. I haven't been following too closely, but it just kind of seems more of the same in the sense of like, hey, uh, you know, she's doing everything she can to to fight this thing and uh we'll see where it heads 
Yeah, I mean, she she kind of remains confident that she thinks that the her four year ban is going to be overturned. Um, you know, I've I've read into it a little bit. You know, Moritoglu kind of uh, took ownership on that and said it was his his team, the supplements that he recommended, and that the supplements were you know tainted or contaminated or whatever. Yeah, it's just it's kind of weird. It's it's a weird scenario. I don't think it's one that we can dive into too much today because I think we do need to kind of see what the verdict is, how it all plays out. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, she's, she, she had her court hearing. She, she thinks that she's going to be back sooner than later. So, you know, we'll, we'll definitely have to keep an eye on that and see what happens there. Recapping everything that happened on the court, <laughs> if you can believe everything that we talked about was just complete off-court stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, on court. That's what you're uh, here for. I know it's crazy. There's, <laughs> there's never a uh, a week in tennis that isn't just like filled with stuff to talk about. Right, um, seriously. So talking about stuff on court Dallas open uh you had Tommy Paul beating Marcos Giron who is another Southern California guy actually mm-hmm. played up here in Ojai before mm-hmm. um so Paul beats him in three it's only Tommy Paul's second ATP title it's his first since 2021 which was another uh 250 hardcore indoor event in Stockholm mm-hmm. um I didn't realize that until I saw some of the posts and looked that up. That seems really surprising to me because his best tennis has really been in the last two years. He's managed to beat Carlos a couple times, um, had a great run at Australian Open last year. So I was really surprised that that was only his second title. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is usually putting up good result, good results, getting to quarter semis, but uh yeah, now since you, I didn't I didn't think about that, but now since you mentioned it, yeah, you're absolutely right. The only time I remember him winning was in Stockholm. He had that crazy like outfit with the shorts. Um, yeah, good for him. Uh, I love the the cowboy hat that they did down yeah. there. <laughs> I love it too. I I had that note on here. It was like, yep. cowboy hat for the winner, comma thoughts question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. He pulled it Very off. Good. He he looked great, and I I posted a picture of it. I was like, yeah, he's he's killing it. Yeah. Very good. I, I think that's always been a thing for the tournaments in uh, maybe not in Dallas because I don't know that the tournament goes that far back. But there was another I have a picture that I posted before. It was maybe an event that happened in Houston in like the 80s. And it's like McEnroe, Connors and like Lendl and they're all wearing cowboy hats. And I have to go back and find oh, it. Awesome. But I was like, this is awesome. I was like, yeah, <laughs> more yeah. cowboy hats in tennis. That's what I want to see. <laughs> A good touch yeah also uh beat uh ben shelton on his yep. way uh through the final american american that's a pretty good result yeah they kind of created a bit of an american tennis player sandwich in the rankings they it's now tommy paul tiafo and shelton at 14 15 and 16 fritz is still wow. holding down the top spot but um i think tiafo might end up leaping paul and del rey because um, he's 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 there right now, and I think he's at least through the first round. So he, I think he's going to get back to the 14 spot. But um, yeah, great representation from the Americans in the top 20 right now. Um, and then in province, you had uh, Frenchman uh, Hugo Humbert beating Dimitrov in two. That came as a bit of a surprise. Yeah. Um, also surprising is that is his fifth ATP title. Whoa. Yeah. He's kind Ooh. of a hot and cold player. Like he's one of those that like he's he's capable of beating, you know, Dimitrov's in the top twenty again, you know, and he's uh he beat him in straight sets. So Umber's only twenty five still, and I think he's yep. kind of always been one of those French players that people expected to be the next young gun up and coming. And now there's some other players that, that get talked about, like Arthur Fees and Cazo, but um yeah, Umber five ATP titles. I think his first was in like twenty twenty or twenty nineteen or something. Wow. So um yeah, fifth fifth ATP title there. Wow. Yeah, you know what? He's he's another one of those players, I guess kind of like Tommy, where it's like you can't really think of a huge results. You know, obviously Tommy made a quarter of a, you know, A or a semi of the AO, but um 
yeah, he's. It seems like that um, he's always ranked high. Like every you know every one thousand, every slam, he's you know a seeded player. So uh, yeah, that that is kind of surprising that he's won five titles. But uh, good for him. Indoor indoor tennis, uh, lefty player. So um, solid. Yeah. Yeah, and then down in Cordoba, um, you had an Italian player who I hadn't heard of, Dardari, uh, beats Bagnus in two sets. That's his first career title. He's only 21 years old. Um, at the time, he was ranked 136th. He now makes his top 100 debut, and he's 76th uh, in the rankings. Um, so, yeah, yet another Italian breaking into the top 100 there, which is good to see. Yeah. And then on the WTA side, uh, two tournaments to wrap up there. Um, you had the Transylvania Open where Pliskova uh, wins her first title in over four years. She beats uh, the uh, Romanian Bogdan in two sets. Um, great to see from Pliskova. I mean, uh, another player, I think she's still top 50 in the world, but has had some injury struggles and has struggled to to obviously put another title up on the board. Um, former number one in the world and... Uh, yeah, first title in over four years, which is, I mean, great, great to see. Yeah, yeah. The last match I saw her play was when she beat Osaka, I think, in the Brisbane or whatever the lead-in yep. tournament, and she looked awesome. I was yeah. Like, oh, wow. Okay, she's finding her form again. Yeah, really good start. Really good start for her. Um, good to see her kind of back in form. I think she's thirty years old, thirty-one maybe. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. And then the biggest tournament over the last week was the one in Abu Dhabi. Some great matches there. Um, Rabakina ends up coming through a tough draw. Um, she ends up coming through and beating Kazakina in two sets. Uh, looked like the Rabakina at the very beginning of the year that won the, the title in, was it Adelaide? Uh, must've been. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Um, yeah. Where well, she like destroyed Sabalenka six, one, six, oh, yeah, that mm-hmm. that's the Rabakina that we kind of expected to see. So she wins her second title of the year. She's back to number four in the world with Pagula dropping back to five there. Um, yeah, it just kind of makes her her loss at the Australian Open seem that much more uncharacteristic because she yeah. is a really really dominant player when she's on. So, yeah, um, she hit a serve one thirty two this week. I one like twenty seven, I think. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, Dude, well, the other... it, it makes me think of. I had to look this up. It makes me think of when they had the women playing with different tennis balls, and there was a lot of you know, fuss about that because the women hit just as strong as the men do at this point. And -hmm. I think it was last year, the U S open fully switched to them using the same tennis ball. And it's like, yeah, I mean, Robachan is out there cracking 127 miles per hour. It's like, what are we, what are we doing? (laughs) It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I don't know how accurate the swing vision is. I I don't know if you used it. You just set up the camera mount and Mm -hmm. use AI to track everything. I thought I had like an amazing serving day last Friday. Yeah. And like I got to like one oh six, I think was like my, my fastest and I was just like, dang, Lena's yeah. firing bombs. That's yeah crazy. I think she might be she might be the best server on the women's game. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah first serve for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then this week, some matches that have already kicked off, uh, the biggest tournament being in Doha and the WTA side, that's a Masters 1000 event there. Um, Iga is the defending champ, um, and she's there as the one seed. Uh, Pagula's out, so her and Coco were the defending doubles title, so she's not able to play in that one. Um, you have on the men's side and the ATP, the biggest tournament happening is in Rotterdam. It's an ATP 500 event. Yeah, Medvedev is the defending champ, but he is still resting from his uh, 400 uh, five-set matches that he played. <laughs> yeah. uh, and Sinner takes his spot, ironically, as the one seed there. Um, <laughs> and then, have you seen anything about Medvedev and like the break that he's taking right now? No, just other than his his announcement of like, hey, you know, I'm just you know, I'm still recovering. Um, yeah, rightfully so, I guess. I mean, it's been two weeks. Yeah. Right, I think so. Yep. I don't know, kind of odd, but uh, where would he go next? Unless he would just wait until in- I'm not sure if he signed up for what his next entry would be. If it's just waiting for Indian Wells, or if he'll play Dubai, which I think is next up. Um, mm-hmm. Don't know, but no, I haven't. I haven't seen anything. Why is there? Is there any news or any? No, no, I, I hadn't seen anything. So I just wanted to make sure I wasn't missing something that he was like, you know, had an injury or anything that he was not working that on, I know. but. No, he also he he did so well at Australian Open, and that was after he had taken 
time off over the he didn't have any tournaments leading up to Australian Open. He took extra time off over the winter and December into January and he played pretty well with it. So maybe there's yeah. a strategy there just to kind of lighten his load and focus on some of the bigger tournaments now. He's know. got a ton of points to defend, like starting. Yeah. Because basically this tournament last year is where his run started, where he basically yep. made the semis or the final and won the final of almost everything up until the French Open. So um, it, it is interesting to watch a player that does that does make a huge run, how they choose to defend those points. Um, yeah. And it seems like, yeah, he's probably just going to try to clear as many points in the 1,000s uh, where he can. Yeah. So, yeah, still going to have to wait to see him back on the court for a little bit. A um, couple other tournaments happening right now, two ATP 250 events, uh, Delray Beach, where Fritz is the defending champ and he's the one seed. Uh, and then in uh, Buenos Aires, you have uh, Alcaraz as the defending champ there and he's the one seed. So, Yeah, that's uh, he did that last year. And last year, he was coming off of the injury pre-AO, didn't play any, any of the AO or any of those events and then started on the clay in South America. And I kind of took that as like, Oh, okay, well he's trying to, you know, get some, build up some endurance. The clay is going to be maybe easier to come back from an injury and then go into, uh, Indian Wells. Um, and he did it again this year without really any injury. So I'm kind of curious. I mean, we talked about it last week of like how players make their schedules, but it is an interesting thing to have like clay court tournaments before the official clay court season, but uh, they do it every year, and I, I'm not sure. I didn't see the player entry list, but I know Cam Norrie did the same thing last year. They played each other, I think, twice in like the semifinals or the finals. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it is cool. There's not a lot of tournaments that happen down in South America, and so Carlos coming down to defend his uh, his titles and kind of represent down there, I think, is a cool thing. Yeah, for sure. Any any of those that you're most excited to watch this week? Um. I'll probably watch some Rotterdam because I feel like probably draw-wise that might be the strongest. Yeah. Uh, then obviously, um, you know, the WTA event too. I think, you know, yeah. I haven't seen the draw yet, but I imagine. Actually, no, I, I already saw some results from that um, mm-hmm. that happened today. So, yeah, some good matches having been already played. Um, but, yeah, and I might watch Carlos just because it's fun to watch Carlos. I, I watched that <laughs> tournament right. last year. Yeah. But, um, yeah, how about you? Um. Yeah, I'll probably tune into a little bit of the Doha. I saw Osaka beat uh, uh, Carolyn Garcia this morning. So, um, yeah. Yeah, a lot of tennis. A lot of tennis to watch. We got a couple weeks to plan out here. Um, You you teased it a little bit in the last episode. I think the plan is for uh, us to put together an episode on how to do Indian Wells. Um, so I think we're going to kind of dedicate a whole episode to the next couple weeks of what tennis looks like for us, which is, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, stacked. Um, yep. so yeah, so tune in, uh, we're going to kind of go through, um, tips on how to do Indian Wells the right way. Some of the other events that are happening down here in Southern California this time of year, um, you know, we've been mentioning and kind of plugging a few of them. It's not because we're sponsored by any of them yet, but, <laughs> uh, it's just a fun, fun, fun two, three weeks of tennis down here. So I'm um, really excited to dig in that episode and, um, yeah, that's all I got for this week though. Uh, you want to finish with hats? Hats. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. It's been a while. I had to cut it. I had to edit the other one out because we just went too long oh, no. in the last episode. So, nice. so, yes, we do need to get back to our uh, our hat shout out. So, um, I'll let you start. What kind of hat are you wearing I, today? Um, this is the obligatory weekly. I don't follow sports outside of tennis, <laughs> yeah. but it's another sports hat. Um, FC Barcelona. Um, I do like soccer. I don't watch it too often, but. Uh, kind of my team i remember buying it must have been a fifa game and uh i just love playing with barcelona that was like my first introduction to soccer ronaldinho was there and i started learning about the players there and then messi came up so fc barcelona hat today are there any tennis players that are big barcelona fans oh i'm sure there is but off the top of my head no i know like the big like rafa madrid I've seen mm-hmm. Carlos Madrid. Actually, an interesting thing. I've, I've heard, I read some things about Rafa becoming like a part of the organization once he retires mm. tennis, like the president of Real Madrid, which is, wow. which is like, what? Um, but um, 
anyways, um, no, don't think so. I mean, there's, you know, those uh, pictures of, like, Messi playing tennis with some of his teammates from uh, Barcelona, like, from a while back, which is kind of funny. But mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing a few. If you know, let us know. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there are. Um, uh, what have you got? I actually own that hat. Yeah. We could so... have matched. Yes, I uh, once again find myself wearing another hat from the courts in Borrego Springs. Uh, love this design that they did. It says love all on it. Um, and uh, it's in my classic green and white, which I seem to somehow be wearing green and white almost every single day. That's my tennis <laughs> aesthetic. I'm even wearing my yep. my Prince crew neck sweatshirt with the green and stuff. So, um, so yeah, that's it. Dude, that's funny. Yeah, I bought that hat when it dropped too. We're on. We've always been like on the same <laughs> same right. wave. Yeah. yeah, I need to get new hats. I I like. I have. We have. We've talked about this before. Like, I have a million of them, but um, I wear them so much they get so dirty and so ratty so quickly. Like, I need to start. Like, I need like a. There there needs to be like a hat subscription service. I need like a hat Whoa. a month. That's a good call. Should we start we one? To- yeah, we need to look into that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, that's next up for the Tennis Today podcast is a subscription service for hats. <laughs> that's pretty good. All right, Tony. Well, uh, yeah, we'll sync up next week. We'll kind of go through Indian Wells and the two weeks of tennis down here in California. And uh, it's been fun. We'll chat later. All right, man. See ya. Have a good one. All right. See ya. This is what these two do, just put smiles on people's faces.